0: Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for Sativeville Church. Lord, the work that you've done here and how that's directly impacted my life. They've been through a lot with me. Rebellion, redemption, marriage, Lord, I thank you for this church. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this new church, Eden Church, on the north side of Des Moines in a similar way. Lord, we know that you are a powerful God, a God that opens up the hearts of people, dead, spiritually dead people. Lord, you do that work. and Father, we pray that you would do that work on the north side of Des Moines. In this church, Lord, we love you. We believe your words. You are the God who does great things. Grant us help against the foe. For vain is the salvation of man. But with you, O God, with you, we shall do valiantly. You will tread down our foes. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. In your son's name, amen. Well, I've been looking forward to this day for quite some time. So I am very glad to be back here and to get to preach to you guys. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Psalm chapter 24. And uh, this psalm is actually one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why or how we came up with the name Eden Church. And so I've titled this message Getting Back to Eden. And uh, it, the context of this psalm is really interesting. It comes from like one of those crazy stories in the Old Testament in, in 2 Samuel 6 where uh, you guys may remember it. David wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which is the, the place where God's presence dwells on earth. Okay, that's the Ark. And David wants to bring it back uh, uh, into the tabernacle where it should be. And so he went, He goes and he, he goes and gets it and he puts the Ark of the Covenant on a cart pulled by these ox. Some of you are remembering the story of childhood, maybe childhood. And, uh, and as it's getting pulled, one of the ox stumble and the Ark of the Covenant begins to wobble, right? The presence of God is wobbling and it's about to go onto the ground. And so this, this guy named Uzzah, he, he, he reaches out and he, and he st- tries to sturdy it so that the presence of God does not fall onto the ground. And immediately, right there, with, with 30,000, I just saw this the other day when I was reading it, 30,000 people were there. They were all dancing, singing songs. This is a giant party, okay? He, he reaches out, Uzzah reaches out to, to steady the ark, and boom, God kills him. Right there on the spot. That would be a party killer, I mean, could you imagine 30,000 people and this dude just drops dead right there? It's not one of those stories that you like to tell in Sunday school, right? Because you know that there's gonna be some kid who raises his hand and just asks the inevitable question, why? Why, God, why Why would you do that? But actually, this story, it's it's not an anomaly. It's not just a one-off story. It's actually a theme. In the Bible, this is a theme. You remember the story of uh, Aaron's sons and how they went into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, the place where God's presence dwells. They went in 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 an inappropriate way, offered this strange fire. Same thing happens. God just smokes them. Dead. Why? Why is it that When we come into presence with the living God, dangerous things happen. Well, here's my not-so-sophisticated, but I think it is intuitive answer to that question. If there really is a holy God, like truly, if there really is a holy God, then this God is unapproachable by unholy beings, unapproachable. And I think, I think that makes sense to us, right? Because God, God's glory is like the sun. We all have this picture of the sun in our mind. The sun from a distance, where we're at now, does a lot of good things, a lot of life-giving things. Gives us light, gives us warmth, That ultimately gives us life. But if you try to fly into the sun, you will die, Because of our unholy sin, approaching God's holiness becomes deadly because he is so glorious and so amazing and so good that we would die if we were in his presence. But did you know that you, every single one of you, you were made to live in that dangerous, holy presence. You were made to live in there. In fact, humanity once did. And now, on this side of humanity, the quest of every single human, even if you don't know this is your quest, this is a quest deep down inside your heart. The quest of every single human is, how do I get back into the presence of my creator? How can I dwell in the midst of my creator without dying because of my sin? And that's what this psalm is all about, Psalm 24. So let's look at it. Let me make my point here. Psalm 24, it's the psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Now, it's a funny way of talking. You've established and founded the land and the people. That word earth means land, and that word world there is talking about the people in the land. So so you founded the land and the people on the seas and the rivers? Some translations say floods? What world are you talking about, David? But some, for some of you, maybe some of those of you who have grew up, grown up around the church, you're, you're having a little flashback in your mind as you hear those words because they're hyperlinks, they're, they're flashbacks to the opening words of the Bible, the Genesis. And this is how the authors of the Bible wrote. They wrote in a way for you to see things, to get this flashback, and to go, okay, so this is what, I'm, this is what the author's thinking about. And so David's thinking about Genesis, Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So David has the death of Uzzah on his mind, and so he begins to reflect on God's opening story, Of creation and humanity, specifically Genesis 1 through 3, where God created the earth, and on that earth these little these little God images called humans, these little images of of Himself. And and He placed them in a garden, in the garden in Eden, so they could live and flourish and, and, and work and cultivate in God's presence without dying in a perfect state. And God told Adam and Eve, and I want you to be fruitful. Here's my plan. Here's my big arching plan for everything. Be fruitful, multiply these little God images, and fill the world with my glory, with a bunch of humans who believe in me, who worship me, just like they were designed. But as I'm sure many of you remember the story, Adam and Eve chose not to trust God. They chose to do what was right in their own eyes. They chose not to lean and trust on God's understanding, not with their whole heart, but rather they chose to lean on their own understanding. and They chose to disobey God. And and as a result, sin broke out Unholiness entered into them and into creation and the perfect relationship between creation and creator was broken, between God and humanity. And as a result, God exiled, he cast Adam and Eve outside of the garden and set up cherubim and all of these warnings at the gate to say, don't come in. And Adam and Eve were left longing to go back into the place where they were designed to be, into the presence of God, into Eden. And so David, David has this in mind when he's writing Psalm 24, and he knows, he knows, just like all of us, he knows instinctually that, that true life, true life is only found in the presence of God. True life is only found in Eden. But if I if I try and get in there on my own in my own ways, then it's not gonna go well for me. Just like it didn't go well for Aaron's sons, didn't go well for Uzzah, and it wouldn't go well for Adam and Eve. That's why I love that picture. I love that picture of Adam and Eve leaving the garden because that gate is just a picture of the gospel right here. Inside the gate is life. You try to get in on your own terms and you'll die. David has this in mind. And so he he asks the question that that should probably be on all of our, our minds as we think about the holiness of God and how we've been exiled out of his presence. He asks the question in verse three. He says, Well, then who? Who, God? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? The hill of the Lord is a reference to Zion or or later Jerusalem, the place where God's presence would dwell with the Hebrew people. And the the holy place was the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle and later on inside the temple where, where the Ark of the Covenant would actually be. So essentially what David is asking is who can enter into the presence of God? Who can enter into Eden without being killed? And he gives us an answer. In verse four, but before we go there, just, just a side note. This is the great human question. The question of who can be in perfection? Who can be in perfection? Because instinctively, every single one of us know that this world that we live in, we, we understand on a basic level that it's, it's not the way it ought to be. We look at sin, we look at destruction, we look at atrocities and we go, it just seems like it shouldn't be this way. It seems like I personally was made for perfection and that's true. That is the great human question. And so David gives us his answer in verse four. He says, here's who. He who has clean hands, that is somebody who is holy, In their action, and a pure heart, that is inward holiness, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, that's a little depressing. David's saying, Guys, the great human question. How can we enter back into the presence of our creator? Here's how we do it, guys. I got the answer. You wanna be in perfection, all you have to be is perfect. That's it. Just be holy in everything that you actually do. Be holy in all of your inward intentions. And by the way, Jesus didn't say anything different. He said the same thing in Matthew 5, 48. He said, you must be holy Perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. That's concerning because I'm not perfect and neither are you. But remember, David has Genesis in mind. David is contemplating the story, the very beginning of God's story. And David has in mind a king. You see that? in the song, in verses 10, seven through 10. He has a king in mind. He has in mind a, a perfect human, a human that was actually described in the very first prophecy in all of the Bible, right in Genesis, the, 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 the chapters, the words that David would have been meditating on in Genesis 3.15, where, where Adam and Eve had chose to trust themselves rather than God, they sinned, the serpent misled them and so God comes around and he's, he's sending his curses out and, he's, and he begins to curse the serpent and, and he says to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now what this means is that there would be a day when a perfect human king would be perfect in all that he does. He would have clean hands. This king would be perfect in all of his intentions. He would have a pure heart. And the curse of sin will strike this perfect king on his heel by killing him. But this king will crush the head of sin and defeat the curse of death by rising from the dead. And David, as he's reflecting on this Messiah king, this is who he's thinking about, he also starts to reflect on how after defeating his enemy, after this king defeats his enemy like a warrior, this sin-crushing king will be able to March up the mountain of the Lord, march up the hill of the Lord into the presence of God where the holy angels will be singing those words that that we're gonna read in a second, verses seven through 10, as as he enters into the holy gates of heaven and sits down at the right hand of God. They would sing, verses seven, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And if you haven't guessed it yet, Genesis 3 and Psalm 24 are all about Jesus. They're all about Jesus. And this is who David has in mind. The future Messiah is Jesus. It's Jesus, the King of glory, who victoriously ascended into the presence of God after he died on a cross for your sins and rose from the dead three days later, defeating our enemy, defeating sin, and ultimately defeating death for us. Jesus is the answer to the great human question. Who can enter into the presence of God? Jesus, that's who. But here's what I love about this, this, this psalm. It's like an image, but it's a multifaceted image. Right? It's like a diamond when you turn it. okay, You, you stick this psalm up and what you see is, is, is the question, who can stand in the presence of God? And you see Jesus. Okay, that makes sense. But now you turn it and another image pops up. And it's the same question, who can stand in the presence of God? And when you turn it, what you see is that you, you can stand in God's holy place because of what Jesus did for you. I love this story. It's a famous story in the Bible. It encapsulates this beautifully. Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah has a dream or a vision And he's taken up into the presence of God. And some wild things are happening here, okay? There's God's presence is there, obviously. There's a bunch of smoke, and his robe is filling the whole thing. There's a bunch of noise, and these six-winged angels flying all over the place. And, And Isaiah instinctively knows, I cannot be here. Right? He knows the story of Adam and Eve. He knows the story of, of Aaron's sons and how they got smoked, right? He knows the story of Uzzah touching the ark. And he knows I am unholy and I am in the presence of holiness and I am about to die. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among the people of unclean lips. I got to get out of here. But then you see this bizarre but fascinating couple of verses in Isaiah 6, 6 and 7. Isaiah writes, but then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Now, that is weird. I mean, it's just bizarre. But I don't want you to miss what's going on here. Isaiah, just like you and I, he is unholy, and he is in the presence of perfection. And so, he doesn't try and clean himself. He doesn't try and make himself holy, but rather, God's holiness, depicted in this holy, live coal, actually reaches out touches Isaiah and transfers the holiness of God into Isaiah so that Isaiah can stand in God's holy place. I mean, if you had a dream like that, you might just be tempted to not eat whatever you ate the night before, right? I mean, that would be, you'd be tripping out a little bit. But, but fast forward to Jesus. Fast forward to the Gospels. In the Gospels, when Jesus would come into contact with people they would be transformed, both physically and spiritually. Jesus would say crazy things, things that would end up getting him killed, like to a man who's crippled, hasn't been able to walk. He would say, stand up, and your sins are forgiven. Your sins are atoned for. Does that sound familiar? Jesus, when he came to earth, he was acting like that Holy, live coal in Isaiah 6. Going around and transforming people and atoning for people's sins. The gospel writer John, John would write in John 1.14 that in the beginning, or, or the word rather, that is Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt, this is really fascinating, That word dwelt literally means to set up a tent, to set up a tabernacle, to set up God's holy place. So do you see what John is saying? John said, Jesus, when he came to earth, he was a walking holy place. And his holiness, just like that coal in Isaiah 6, his holiness was being transferred over to anyone who would believe in him. Now go back to Psalm 24 and read verses three through five with with this in mind, with this image in mind. David says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? The great human question. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. Through faith in Jesus, your sins will be atoned for. Every wicked thing that you've ever done, Jesus says, I will forgive you of your sins if you believe in me. And then his righteousness, his blessing, his clean hands, his pure heart will be offered to you as a gift. And if you haven't believed in that, I don't know what you're waiting for. Isaiah, the same prophet, would later say in Isaiah 61.10 that this God, this holy God, actually takes the perfection. It's like perfection's a coat. It it says that he'll actually take Jesus' perfection And if you trust in him, if you you look to the cross, what Jesus did for you on the cross and rising from the dead three days later, if you look to that and you trust in that for the forgiveness of your sins, God will take Jesus' perfection and wrap it around you like a protective coat and take you with that coat into the midst of the dangerous but life-giving presence of God. Jesus has reopened the gates of Eden for you to ascend the mountain of the Lord, enter into the holy place of God with Jesus' code of righteousness over you, and he will allow you to stand in God's holy place without perishing for all of eternity. But there's one more image. There's one more image, and in this image is, one of the main reasons why we named the church what we named it, Eden Church. First image being, when you hold up Psalm 24, who can stand in the presence of God? It's Jesus alone. Then you turn it, and you see, ah, Jesus made a way for me to actually climb the mountain of God and stand in his presence. But then if you turn it again, what you'll see is this third image, and that is that the church is the holy place of God here on earth today. I love this story of Moses. You guys will maybe remember it if you grew up in the church. He comes to Mount Sinai with the Israelites and this is a picture of everything we've been talking about. The presence of God is over the mountain. and It is horrifying. Inside is actually life. It's the living God. But from the outside, you're going clouds, Thunder, lightning. In fact, God said, hey, Israelites, come on up the mountain. And they're like, nope, I'm good. Send Moses up. We don't want to die. Because if they would have tried to get in on their own, in their own way, they would have died. But here's this picture. They come to the mountain. And Moses is the one. He's the Christ figure in the story. He goes into the presence of God. He's spending time with God. He, he, he gets the Ten Commandments. But then he comes down off the mountain. Do you remember what happened to him? His face was radiating the holiness of God. To the point where the Israelites are like, we can't handle it anymore. Please, put a veil over yourself. We just can't handle the glory of the Lord because they realized, they saw that Moses had been with God. And let me tell you something. If you're a Christian in this room, if you claim to be a Christian in this room, your life should look like Moses coming down off the mountain. Remember the story of Peter and John at in, in the beginning of Acts when, when Jesus already left them and, and they're preaching and, and the Pharisees are like, I, I don't know what's going on here. They're clearly uneducated men, but I'm gonna take notice They've been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. And God's holiness was radiating off of them. If you're a Christian in this room, that should be true of you. You have entered into the holy place of God. God has saved you. He has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. And now every aspect of your life should be a radiation of God's holiness in your job, in your family, in your neighborhoods, everywhere you go, people should be able to smell the aroma of Christ everywhere you go, how are you doing? How are you doing with that? Do people see you? Do they see the holiness of God or do they see something that looks a lot like the world? You are a walking holy place if you're a christian you are a walking garden of eden but now let me give you the big picture this is god's big picture and this big picture this is why we plant churches paul says in 1 corinthians 3:16 don't you know that you yourselves and he's talking about these individual christians these individual little gardens of eden coming together to create his church He's talking about the church here. He says, don't you know that you yourselves, the church, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? God's plan to fill the world with his glory from the very beginning was to have Adam and Eve be fruitful, multiply these little God images, have them fill the world. Today, it's through churches, God's plan to fill the world with his glory is for little walking holy places, that's Christians, coming together and starting churches so that God's holiness would radiate into the spiritually dark areas of our world. And Sayleville Church, I hope you grasp what we're doing here. As a network, as a gospel-centered church, you get to play a role in God's big plan. You get to play a role by planting a church, by planting a little garden of Eden. And the next one that we're planting is on the north side of Des Moines. And that is what we intend to be, a garden of Eden with the gospel as our map and as many people as, as, our, as our living God will, will grant us, we are going to show people the way back to their creator. We're going to show them how they can enter back into the presence of God, enter back into Eden. We are going, with God's help, we are going to help the north side of Des Moines find and follow their creator. We're going to help them find because so many of them don't know where he is or how to get to him. We're going to show them that God is holy and they are not. We're going to show them that if they try to enter into the presence of God on their own terms, they will die. And we're going to show them that it's only through the cross, it's only through what Jesus did for them, that the gates of Eden will be reopened so that they can enter into the holy place of God and spend eternity with him. And then once they're in there and they're a part of this church community, we're gonna help them follow. We're going to help Christians follow and be Edens we're gonna turn Eden into a verb we're gonna help them follow everywhere they go they're going to be the presence of God that's what our prayer is for this church what would happen if a church really loved their neighbors like Jesus did I really believe that entire communities would change if that were the case Schools, businesses, neighborhoods, all of it would change if a church really loved their neighbors like Jesus did. What would happen if a church didn't care about its status but really loved the neglected like Jesus did? I believe that church would be a picture of our Creator's heart, full of the rich and the poor, the businessman and the homeless man, the stay-at-home mom, and the mom working two jobs. I, I, I believe that. What would happen if a church really loved the spiritual nomad, really gave somebody a place to feel at home while they felt out God, while they searched for God? I believe that church would be an answer to the spiritual cry of our culture today. That's the vision of Eden Church, and Kaylee and I, we have five kids, but that's not enough. We need your help, and today we are asking, is God calling some of you, is God calling some of you to leave a life of comfort and follow him into the work that he's doing on the north side of Des Moines? Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit would be moving here this morning, not because of me or what I've said, Lord, but because of your word. I pray that your word would be a fire in their bones, just like the song we sang a couple minutes ago. Lord, I pray that you would be moving in certain individuals here today, and that they would feel the call of God in their heart to go live on mission, and to join Eden Church. And Lord, I pray for the souls in here who don't know you. Lord, this is the answer to their greatest question, Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would understand who Jesus is. You would open their eyes and that they would be saved today if they do not know you. Father, we love you. In your son's name, amen.